This is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. All right, y'all, welcome to uh, episode two of New Season Existential. This is episode 81. Can't believe we've done 81 episodes. You guys have been amazing, uh, especially those of you who are part of the Patreon community. Thank you for uh, just supporting us the way that you do and enabling us to have incredible guests like uh, the guests we have today. Uh, the author that I have seen everywhere over the last couple of weeks. I mean, <laughs> I think this book is the most talked about theological book maybe ever. I don't know. But um, wow. author of Red Lip Theology, Candice Benbow, is our guest today. Candice, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes. How are you doing? You've been like, you had to be busy. So how are you doing? I'm tired. No, <laughs> I'm, um, I'm really, I'm really good. I'm grateful, deeply grateful. Uh, I did not expect at all the response that this book has received. And so, yeah, I'm just truly, truly, truly grateful. Truly grateful. Yeah, I mean, I saw what you were in, it was in Vogue magazine. Uh, yeah, so in Glamour, Essence, um, I have a piece in Rolling Stone coming out either today or tomorrow. Wow. Um, so yeah, it, it really, it got, it got a lot of buzz and I'm really, really glad. So you've been writing for a while, like you were writing before, you know, you were doing pieces and and um, like what, what were you doing? What kind of writing were you doing before that? Yeah, so I my first blog, Selah uh, and Amen, um, launched March of 2010. And um, I really wanted to have these like cultural and religious conversations there. So um, I began writing in public space then. Um, I became a writer, contributing writer for Urban Cusp, which was this like urban space um, magazine for a while. Um, and then I had my own blog. And after a couple of years, um, really started leaning into more Black women's spaces to talk about faith. So um, Essence and Madame Noir and The Roof. Um, so I've had, I mean, it's been what I mean 20 yeah 12 years of um writing publicly um and so it's just it is beautiful to see the book come out um at this point in my career yeah and we definitely got to get into talking about the book but there, there's so much as I was you know reading about you and seeing the work you've done there's so so many interesting things that you have been involved in written about talked about but most recently, uh, you wrote a piece about, um, I almost said our guy or your boy, which I know, you know, is not true, but Michael Todd, uh, yeah. God, bless, God bless him, and, and the whole spit on somebody's face in the middle of a COVID thing. Like, right. what made you, uh, I mean, I know as writers and communicators, content creators, we, we, we feel, I don't know about you, but I sometimes will feel an obligation to speak to what's happening. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. in, in, mm -hmm. in public discourse, but I don't feel like I need to talk about everything, you know, and I imagine you're the same. Right, 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 so what right. made you decide yeah. like this particular foolishness was something you wanted to write yeah. about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so my new writing home 
is the griot where I am uh, the daily lifestyle editor there. I mean, okay. not editor, the daily lifestyle writer there. Okay. And um, and part of what I have always wanted to have is uh, to bring um, necessary theological conversations in pop space, pop culture spaces and cultural spaces beyond the church. And this was one of those. So I, I typically try to stick clear of writing him um and most preachers that do crazy stuff because you'll just be writing all the time um <laughs> but in a moment in a moment like this one where um where there was a um where where we're also trying to reckon with churches have begun to reopen um, and then because of Omicron had to close back, right? Go shift back to virtual. Um, and then you have the way that Omicron, the Omicron variant is highly contagious, um, that we're in this pandemic. And that was a deeply um, insensitive, beyond being nasty, right? Um, beyond uh, yeah, it yes, being... Yes. Beyond it being, you know, scripturally inaccurate, because that's not even what Jesus did, um, it really, it really misses the mark on the ways that people are grieving and trying to make sense of a time in which touch is dangerous, and and that like we actually cannot be together. Um, and I think it, I think it also goes back to why it is important for faith spaces to um, be culturally competent spaces um, and to be sensitive, have a critical sensitivity to the moment. And, and so as a, as a theologian, like one of the things that I do is I write about what is happening in the world, how and how that impacts people. And so this was a moment that it was like, now, nah, like you actually like, we need, he needs the accountability of people saying what, you know? And, and so that was really what, you know, led me to say like, let me, I got a couple of words for it. Okay. Oh my God. You said so many things just now. <laughs> <laughs> like I just, this is just how my brain works. I hear these phrases and they just buzz for me. Right. And one of the phrases that buzzed when you said it was, necessary theological conversations because of the the idea of them being necessary right is that we live in a time where for us in our culture you usually would i don't know that i would often see necessary and theology in the same sentence especially when you're talking yeah. about pop culture especially when you're talking about right. outside of the church outside of you know seminary why right. why I'll put those together? Like what 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 makes a theological conversation necessary for you as a public theologian, as an author, as a writer, content creator? Um, first it's necessary because we live in a world that for so many of us as black people has been impacted and shaped by faith, right? And so whether whether you don't go to church or whether you are not someone who who is um, who has spiritual or a faith a faith affiliation, 
you know someone who does. And more times than not, how they view you, how they view the world and their ethics are, are shaped through that lens. And so when you can't have, you can't talk about what is right and good and ethical in the world and what's happening in the world without also having the necessary conversation about how all of those things are shaped by faith. And um, and so for me, when I talk about having necessary theological conversations, it is also about helping to helping people to actually see that because I don't think a lot of people know that. Like a lot of people, a lot of people would intuitively say, you know, how they think about things, how they move about the world has a grounding. But too often they may not they may not associate it with the crux of their faith or somebody else's. And so what does that mean when we're trying to think through what it looks like to move in the world, um, what it looks like to to create space for other people in the world? Um, And so that's why the conversations I think are important Um, and, and, and especially particular moments. Like this was one where everybody was talking about it. Um, This was one where it like, it had actually moved beyond black folks talking about it, but and I think that's kind of why he also apologized too, because white folks did fine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but but it moves out of this point in this moment, and it's like, no, like we actually have to talk about this and have the broader conversations about sensitivity and care and what that looks like and what that means. Um, because too often we don't have those when it comes to our preachers. Yeah, man. And one one of the, what I would consider to be necessary theological conversations are about how we view God. And a yeah. couple of days ago, I tweeted, um, scripture shows us that God is gender fluid. And mm-hmm. I had, you know, as you can imagine, some some folks that weren't necessarily too pleased with that idea. Um, what do you think it is that makes people um, so apprehensive about the notion that God would be anything other than male? Because it's about power. Um, it's about, and it's about the ability to make a claim and a name to Jesus and who Jesus is and what that looks like. Um, and and I and I and and align a certain kind of um, power with it. Um, and so for for so many, it is a ultimately it is about power, even if you don't recognize that it is. And then there's also this notion of fear that like we've only seen it this way. Like, why, like, what do you mean? Like if 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 for some people it's like if God is not a man, if God is not male, then like does God exist? You know, and, and yeah, you're like yeah. it does not. You know, it is like no. Oh. Um, and there are so many people who, um, you know, I who who have long left that right. That like for me, I use no pronouns when it comes to God, and I talk about that in the book. One having to reckon with like a trifling daddy and not wanting God to be 
associated in that way um, in my head and then talk about the entire process of, of unlearning that. But I don't even use she or they for God. Like one, because I want I want something that is not common to 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 reflect and to describe when I'm talking about somebody, something as powerful, as majestic, as holy as God. Like I don't want to use the very things I use to describe myself, my homegirl my father, my mom, because we're humans and and in all of our and all of our trying we have frailties. And and I think that, you know, people who are so rigid to give up that lose so much of what's possible. Yes. Um when they lose so so much of what's possible when they refuse to see that God can be different. Um and I just don't want to lose that. Yeah. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, I think I think to some degree, um, I'm apprehensive uh about the tug of war with God that is trying to make God in the image of this or that or the other. Um mm-hmm. But I also understand the handles that are necessary for people to to feel a sense of connection to God. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but it has troubled me. And you you named it. You named what troubles me is that for so many people, God can only exist if he if he has a penis. Like that's the only mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. that God can that's be it. powerful. That God can be creative. That we can have a God worth giving your life to is if that God is male. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and and I go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. You go ahead. You go ahead. No, like I I and I and I think too often what that does for um for women, particularly in my context, as I was writing this book, um, it makes us question our own power. It makes us question our own ability to be connected to the divine and hear, um, it makes us, it makes, it makes it difficult to trust the sound of our own familiar. And um, I think that part of, part of why I wrote this book um, was that it happens to all of us. And, you know, I struggle with it still, right? Where I have, there are minutes where I have to like, take a moment and just pause and say this is this is not who I know God to be these feelings that I'm having around shame and guilt because of a decision or because of a of a moment are not at all what God wants for me and God doesn't delight in that and so it's my responsibility to uh, find a way to um, to lean into the good and and too often because we have yielded too much power, um, too much credit <laughs> to to people outside of us, we don't know how to do that. And so I was hoping that relative theology help sisters to reclaim it um in the way that they need it to yeah so the book is red red lip theology the dog's adorable by the way i, I had to lock, I had to lock. charlie is 
Yeah, I had to lock mine out or she or she'd be in here doing the same thing. She was scratching at the door a few minutes ago, but I was like, you can't come in because you'll ruin the whole podcast. For me. <laughs> yeah, he's he's actually he's actually gonna have to leave. Like he is seconds. he's an adorable dog though. I mean, Thank you know, you. he can stay, he can stay. Charlie, you can stay. Uh, but I like so so red lip theology is the name of the book. And um in the subtitle, you said this is for black girls. And for church, yep, for church girls. For, yeah, and it's mm-hmm. yeah, for, for church girls, right? It, well, so you the subtitle mm-hmm. is for church girls. Yeah, it's for church girls who've considered tithing to the beauty supply store when Sunday morning isn't enough. Okay, so <laughs> this is a very um when you look at it from a marketing, from a business, all of those standpoints, feels like a very small target audience. And and most people yeah. would not write a book especially in Christian spaces, when you're talking about writing a book, you're like, oh, we got to write this for white women if we want to sell it. Right, <laughs> so right. Like, what made you decide to be like, man, forget that. I'm writing a book for people, like I'm writing a FUBU book for us by us. <laughs> yes, for us by us, yes. Why did you decide so to do that? One, because um, Christian white Christian women dominate um, Christian lit dominate the Christian writing space. So they got people who write for them. I don't really care <laughs> that much about like how how they navigate certain like because they're good people who speak to them even in even in progressive moments, right? Like they're gonna be women who give them their marching orders. But as black women who do as a result of research, um, we found that black women are the most religious demographic in America. And yet we cannot, and yet we don't have voices for us, right? Um, we're not, that's not represented one in leadership, church leadership, or in the right space. Yeah. And so I had a moment where I um, I was like, nah, like there need to be more of us who write for us. And so what's so funny was going through subtitles, um, you know, at first they were like, um, well, let's, let's call, instead of saying beauty supply store, let's say beauty counter. I was like, black women <laughs> go to the beauty supply store. Like, no. Instead of barbershop, let's store. say supercuts. <laughs> <laughs> yes and then it was well um some people depending on their faith tradition may not know may not tithe so it's making it much more exclusive I said black women tithe so that's what I'm talking about and they gonna know everybody else read and enjoy the overflow but I was very clear that this book was for sisters, and and I'm and I stuck to my guns, and I'm proud about it. Um, you know, it went no way. I was putting beauty counter in my. <laughs> no, 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 kid, no way, no way, no way. It ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm proud of you too. I'm proud that you stuck to your guns. I'm proud you did that because I know that it, I know it takes a certain amount of courage to do that. Um, to stick to something that feels. Yeah, no worries. That to okay. stick to something that that feels altruistic to you feels like a, a calling, feels like something that um, is necessary, and you stuck to that. 
and the end result was this book that is amazing that is um, I'm, I'm seeing white folks read it I'm seeing black folks yes. read it. it's like so <laughs> you know it, it it was blessed I believe uh, because you, you stuck to you. stuck to what was important to you thank you that means a lot thank you yeah yeah man so uh, a friend of mine um you know we we on existential podcast a lot of what i talk about is is deconstructing and deconstruction it's a it's a hot button topic these days I, when i first started yes. know, kind of talking about it I, it wasn't I, I didn't think it was anyway it was just something i was kind of living through um a friend of mine asked me an interesting question he said do you think that most uh black folks that are deconstructing are affiliated with white churches um and I don't know. It's a good question. I'm like, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I kind of feel like Black women and people from the queer community that are a part of traditional Black churches would also be prone to deconstruction. But I don't know if that's true or not. That's kind of a just a, a stab in the dark for me. Yeah. So I think I think there's I think there is um, there's validity to that statement. One because. Um, so much around deconstruction, the conversation about deconstruction is about um, disconnecting Christianity from this white Eurocentric lens. Um, and, you know, for those of us who were born and raised in Black churches, some of us are like, well, Jesus always been like this. So I don't, <laughs> what are you talking about, right? Like, what do you mean? We didn't, right? Like, we didn't, like, like, I, and I talk about in the, the book. It went into seminary that I didn't even know that black people went to church for white folks. Like, I didn't know that they actively chose to do that. <laughs> so, like, you know, I didn't. So, like, I'm getting here, and I'm like, oh y'all, like, oh y'all want to be in church for white people? Wow, like that was. A bit. I never knew, that. <laughs> and so, so I think a lot of it, a lot of deconstruction conversations, is pushed by Black Christians who have been, who've largely been in white in white uh, spaces, that are trying to make sense of how we can have what has felt like a decade of intensified anti-black violence in our generation and in our lifetime and white people are just saying pray if they're saying anything right and so I think a lot of it is them trying to make sense of that and um but not but and also you know there are movements and have been movements in black church spaces that call a thing a thing, right? Um, and it wasn't necessarily having to deconstruct as much as it was to be like, no, like God loves me too. And uh, you don't get to say that God don't love me because you don't know how to, you don't understand, you know, this. Um, you don't get to say that I'm not beloved because you are reading blank kind of screwed and skew passage and lens, but I love me too. Yeah. And so I think I think that if we're having deconstruct 
Like, because, because I resist, even though I know that it is, and people have to have titles to it, I resist um, relevant theology being a kind of deconstructionist work um, for a lot of reasons, because I do think that to call it deconstructionist does center whiteness in a way that I'm just not, uh, I'm not having. Um, I'm having a conversation about the ways that sisters can deepen and authentic and develop and deepen and sustain an authentic relationship with God and the divine and move beyond um, harmful theologies. Uh, I'm having a conversation that centers them. And so, yeah, so on some level, you know, I, I would I would stake the argument that deconstruction is largely happening and the conversation is largely being pushed by Black folks who've been in white Christian spaces that's trying to make sense of the racism that's happening in those spaces. Yeah, that's super interesting to me. And thank you for naming um, how the boundaries for which you want your book talked about, right? And how you want, mm-hmm. uh, how you've positioned your work uh, and and your baby, really. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When it comes to this. And I, I, I wonder when I encounter people like yourself, whose faith remains despite the adversity, because as a Black mm-hmm. woman, um, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter to the church space. It don't matter if it's black or mm-hmm. white or whatever. You mm-hmm. black women are not centered uh, by and large. Right. How right. how is it that you maintain a sense of connection to the divine, a connection to yourself, a connection to your morality and your your calling in the midst of that kind of adversity? Yeah, you know, I I, I the the connection is maintained because it took a moment to realize that the connection never left. Um, I went through a, and I talked about it in the book, I went through a really, like starting with the death of my mother, a really painful season in my life that was so um, disorienting. And it really was a crisis of faith. And it asked, it forced me to ask some very existential questions and what I found was that God was big enough for those questions and um, that, that God welcomed the, the, the wrestling that took place and the, and the rejection, you know, that took place. Like there were points where I was just like, I, I'm not, I'm mad at God and I'm not going to pray. What's yeah. the point? Absolutely. Um, and so there was that space and God honored it. And I I wanted to be in a room and I wanted to be in a space where um that that kind of faith, that kind of, of authentic knowing um was all I had and all I could have. And what I found was that God walked with me through it. What I found was that I was accompanied um, by ancestors um, who, not just my mother, but, you know, there were times where I, I would feel 
my grandfather. Um, there were times where he would come to me in a dream. There were times where, where other loved ones would come to me and talk to me in real time, right? That's why people can't ever tell me that um, that ancestral veneration and to honor the ancestors um, is antithetical to a Christian faith, right? Like there were, you know, there were moments where like, I remember vividly um, my granddaddy in his red pickup truck that my grandfather died in 20, in 2000. So at that point, it had been 17 years. My grandfather in, in his red pickup truck driving to visit me in my apartment in Princeton, New Jersey and telling me, you're going to be okay. You just got to you just gotta get through this. And he said, but the sun will come up in the morning and you're going to be okay. And you can't tell me, <laughs> you know, like my, my granddaddy died part with the high school before I graduated high school, right? So and so so those kinds of moments um there were moments where I, I because I wasn't going to church I leaned into other forms of spirituality to 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 deepen a connection you know I spent a year with a buddhist faith community oh, and yeah. and I remember telling them my first day I was in there I was like I don't know nothing I just I just watch what's love got to do with it and I just really want to be with y'all and it was some of it was the most profound and beautiful time and I met God there and I felt God Mm. there and so um that even even learning more about about religions and African traditional religions that are steeped in the history of people who look like me, where I come from, right? Like there was one time I was, it was, it was, it was actually when I had COVID and um, I was, I was not feeling well at all. It was in 2020 and I was in the shower <laughs> and I said, I need Jesus, Yemeya and my mama. And I said, I know y'all, I said, this is probably the first time y'all have ever been called on together, but I need you. <laughs> and, and, and so when people ask about that sustaining force in the midst of vitriol, in the midst of communities and faith traditions that would seek to say that that's demonic, I felt something different. And I know what I felt. And I know what has held on to me. Um, I know what holds me. And so I try to I try to hope that sisters can can lean more into that knowing as well. Candice, I'm so mad at you right now because I could spend another <laughs> two hours right now <laughs> with you on on this, on everything you just said. And I can't. I can't. I I, I pray. <laughs> I'm gonna pray to the same folks you pray to that we can get you back on the podcast so we can talk about of that again. All you gotta do is because say it. <laughs> gosh, that was so beautiful and inclusive and whole mm-hmm. and spiritual and true in ways that are just so profound that like like no lie, I damn near took my hat off just now. I'm like I, I'm, I'm I just <laughs> felt like I needed to do something. I felt like Moses, like I got to take my sandals sandals off. It just felt mm-hmm. like holy ground for mm-hmm. real. Like Thank so, you. I'm gonna ask you one last thing. I'm gonna let you go because, golly, I could spend it. I might. I I, I don't even know. What to do, <laughs> right. 
But um, one thing I felt like was really important to ask you on, on, on when I when I got a chance to sit with you is mm-hmm. for those of us who are not black women, what role do we mm-hmm. play? What's what's our what's our what is appropriate for us in the centering of black women? How how do we how do we play our part? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think what um what I would say is that it's always the amplifying of um of black women's voices. Um, when you have platforms, when you have privilege, when you have access. Um, that maybe the first thought is not how you can use this platform and how you can use this opportunity uh, to advance what you do, but um, how can how can this be extended um, to someone else? Um, I think it's also about protection. Um, Black women who who are trying to to have different conversations and advance the work that we're trying to do are often targeted. Um, we experience vitriol on the socials um, in our communities, and we need the protection and the advocacy of those who who um, call themselves our brothers, call themselves our friends, and our comrades and our allies. That it means calling it out when you see it. It means saying like, no, like we can have a different conversation, and you don't have to attack her, right? That like. You know, um, that has been a a deep gratitude that I extend to brothers who like, you can disagree with her, but bruh, like you don't have to call her out her names. Like come to her with respect. Yeah, like she, you know. Um, and so and I and I think it's also doing the work within yourselves to be safe and holy space. Um that's that includes therapy. <laughs> That includes listening. Um, that includes doing a lot of work that may give you a knee-jerk reaction in the beginning because you're not necessarily used to not being the focus and not being the center. But it does matter um, to us and to to the safety and to the freedom of sisters um, to really think through what it means to, to amplify us to protect us and to do the work to be safe for us. Great that folks listening can lean into that. Um, I want to lean into that. Um, I want to be all of those things. Um, you know, I, you know, I have three black daughters. I have a black partner, yeah. um, and I, I want to be that. You know, and so thank you for for yeah. sharing that, sharing that with with all of us, so that we can. Uh, know how to 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 play our part and and to not overstep and you know be rescuers but to be appropriate partners uh, thank you to black women so Candace thanks so much for for coming on the, the podcast I, I so appreciate thank it thank you it's amazing, it's amazing. Um, we gotta do it again I really want to so, like so bad because we I want to talk about your experiences that you just went into because it's I uh, damn, I want to talk about it so bad. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, so, so it. where where can people uh, go to stay in touch with you? Like, I know that the book is out, flying off the shelves. I mean, is it even still available? <laughs> like, can anybody? Can you still get the book now? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so somebody told, somebody messaged me and was like, "Your book is on back order. Can I just send? Um, can I send you some money? You send me one." I'm like. That's really not how it works, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but thank you. Uh, but you can get it anywhere that um, books are sold. 
Um, you can, my, my website, CandiceBimbo.com, uh, C-A-N-D-I-C-E-B-N-B-O-W, but also, um, I'm on the socials, um, at Candice Bimbo. Uh, you can find me there on Twitter at Candice Bimbo. You can find me there on Instagram. I think it's so, I think it is so fascinating that no matter what you do in life, you always got people wanting to hook up. <laughs> it don't matter, like. Write a book, make some I'm music, like, you know, get a job at the movie theater. It don't matter. They we we need a hookup. We gonna get a hook. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, we gonna get a hook up. You hear me? Like I was just on Facebook the other day and somebody was talking about they wanted their book signed. So one of my friends was like, Oh, don't worry, like. I'm going to her house next weekend. Like anybody who wants their book signed, just send them okay. to me. And I said, I was like, first of all, I'm not even gonna be here this weekend. And how you how you volunteering to do something and you didn't even ask me? What is going on? Be at her house. Anybody <laughs> want a book sign? Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I love us. I really do. <laughs> For sure. I really do. Thank you, Candace. Well, Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Thank you to all of you who have subscribed to, reviewed, rated, told folks about this podcast that made this your favorite podcast, or it may have second or third, doesn't matter, but thank you to all of you. And again, thank you to those of you who are part of the Patreon community. Uh, Be sure to check the show notes so that you can stay in touch with Candice, uh, get a copy of her book if you don't have it already. And thank you for helping us to contend for a better world one conversation at a time.